title of today's message is Knowing Fear. Knowing Fear. And this message, um, I guess you could say, was inspired by my wife. She shared a poem with me the other day, and I thought, I'm in between books right now. We went through Colossians and thinking about what book should I go through? Should I go through Revelation for seven years or no? <laughs> Already done that. Okay. I don't know. So praying about picking a book in the scripture and walking through it. But in the meantime, I'm doing more, if you will, topical messages. I'm thinking of messages and whatever God burns on my heart. Sometimes throughout the week, I'm just thinking of something. And this week I was going to do like a part two to last week. And I was going to talk again about greed and possessions. And I, I just wanted to kind of flush that out some more because there's some nuance to it. And I was going to walk through First Timothy 6. But anyhow, I want to talk about fear today. I want to talk about knowing fear. What does it mean to know fear? Not N-O, no fear, but K-N-O-W, to know fear. You ever remember those bumper stickers, those I saw them on the back of a lot of trucks growing up? No fear. I actually looked up the company. If you've heard of it, it was started by these race car drivers in Southern California. They started this company, No Fear, from Carlsbad, California. Go figure. And I would see these bumper stickers and so forth growing up, and I always thought that was interesting because I was taught in church to fear the Lord, yet that said no fear. And so I did some digging, and the company actually went bankrupt in 2011. And I said that's quite fascinating because it's kind of a bankrupt idea apart from Jesus Christ. If you're a person that says, I have no fear, I'm not a Christian, I don't believe in Jesus, I don't believe in heaven or hell, I, I, I have no fear in life. I, I'm just reckless abandon. I just do whatever I feel like. I, I, I race cars at 300 miles an hour. No fear is kind of the motto, I think. Well, that's kind of like jumping out of an airplane without a parachute and saying, I have no fear the whole way down. I have no fear. Well, that's great that you have no fear. Like a five-year-old, I have no fear, but I'm going to go run into the middle of an intersection. You can say you have no fear all day long, but that's a foolish idea. We're actually commanded in the scripture to fear. The question is, what are we to fear? And the answer is found all throughout the scripture, but I want to look at 2 Corinthians 5. 11 today. 2 Corinthians 5.11. Last week I looked at, we looked at Luke 12.15 and we did a springboard from that into the Old Testament. And we're going to do something a little similar today. 2 Corinthians 5. We're actually going to pick it up at verse 7. And then we're going to springboard from this text again into the Old Testament and talk about fear. 2 Corinthians 5.7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your conscience, consciences. So verse 11, Paul says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. That's the question for today. Do you know the fear of the Lord? I like how the King James puts it. 
Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Anyone have an Aramaic Bible in plain, plain English today? Okay, I didn't think so, but I like this translation. Therefore, because we know the awesomeness of our Lord, we persuade the children of men. The awesomeness. What do you think when you think of awesome? The words kind of changed in the last several hundred years. At one point, it meant terror, dread, reverence, fear. If you still look up the word awe, A-W-E, in a thesaurus, that's what you'll see. Those words accompanying with it, terror, dread, reverence, fear. When you think of awesome today, I think of like a surfer dude, like, that's awesome, bro. Like, so awesome. Groovy Jesus. We're talking, though, what Paul's trying to get across here is not groovy surfer Jesus, as I mentioned before. Jesus is my homeboy, my sidekick, my cherry on top of my cake, but consuming fire Jesus. Because what is Paul, whenever you see the word therefore, ask the question, what's it therefore? What comes right before it in verse 10? We're going to be before Christ. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You're going to be recompensed. You're going to receive what you are due, whether you do good or bad. If you're a Christian, if Christ is in you, then you're going to bear much fruit. If you're not, you're going to be doing bad. And Paul's saying that should cause you to fear the Lord. You, sh- you should want to please him. That's the verse right before that. To please him with everything, to live your life for Christ. And so this fear should cause you to persuade other people and let them know, hey, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So wake up, fear the Lord, honor him with your life. Some people think, well, God's just love, right? I mean, yeah, okay, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, but he understands, right? He knows that it's okay that I just live in drunkenness or I have to rob banks all the time because I need money or, you know, God understands because he's like us. Psalm 50, 21 and 22. You thought I was just like you. That's what God told the Israelites. You thought I was just like you. I will rebuke you and present the case before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forget, forget God, or I will tear you in pieces and there will be no one to save you. Pretty harsh words, right? You thought I was just like you. You thought I was okay that you're robbing each other and you're the, the widow and the orphan among you. You're neglecting and you're, you're, you're doing all these wicked things. And you thought, oh, I was just like you, that I'm okay with it. He goes, I'm not okay with it. And if you don't repent and if you don't turn to me, I'm going to tear you to pieces. We, wow. Amazing. We need to be in awe of God. We need to fear the Lord. He's holy. He's awesome. He's powerful. It's once been said, what comes, to, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Our worship, our, our lives, our conduct are dictated by how we view God. If we only view God as love and gracious and kind and merciful, and if that's the only way that we view God, well, how is that going to lead us to live? We need all of God's attributes. We need to know how God is described throughout all of Scripture. And so it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom so that we can make wise choices to please God in everything that we do. Remember Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6? 
He finds himself in the presence of the Lord. I see the Lord seated on the throne, the seraphim. They're covering their faces. Seraphim means burning one. They're burning in his presence and they can't even look at God. They don't, they're just fearing the Lord. And what does Isaiah say when he's in the presence, caught up? He says, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm ruined. He's like, how am I still alive and talking right now? I don't, I don't, I don't understand it because somehow I'm catching a glimpse of the Lord and I'm seeing how holy he is and how we're all trembling before him. And he's like, how am I still alive? He wasn't like, hey, Lord, what's up? How you doing? That's how some people approach God today. Yo, Lord, what's going on? Hey, can you help me? And I'm not saying at times we, that we pray as we call them flare prayers and just say, Lord, please help me. But we need to remember who we're talking to. God is holy, holy, holy. And apart from God, grabbing that coal, the angel comes over and grabs the coal and touches his lips and says, you're forgiven. Apart from forgiveness, we're dead in his presence. Just like Peter out fishing with Jesus. And he's like, whoa, Jesus. He, f- he sees a glimpse of Jesus's power. And he's like, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Like, how are, how, how are you even allowing me to be in your presence right now? That's how we need to be before the Lord. Lord, thank you that I can even talk to you. Thank you that I'm breathing. Thank you that for my life. That's having the fear of the Lord. That's the right posture towards God, a true reverence, a true awe, a true admiration, realizing who God is, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, all-transcendent, from everlasting to everlasting, perfect, holy, pure, righteous, glorious. Isaiah forty twenty-five. God says, who are you going to compare me to? To whom will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One. And I love verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number, he calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. How many stars are there? More stars than grains of sand on the seashores of all the world. Trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions. It would take you thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years to count all the stars. And then you would just be beginning. And God says, I know everyone by name. I know they're not missing. I know they don't move without me telling them to move. I can't remember people's names at my job. I forget some of your names. I forget my kids' birthdays. I can't remember anything. And God's like, I know it all. Who can you can anyone compare to me? I know everything. You ever thought about that? God never learns. It's not like someone goes to God and, hey, God, did you, I saw something over there. You didn't see it. Let me tell you about it. Or let me give you this crazy math equation that Einstein created. Let me show you. It's going to take like an hour to explain it. He's like, dude, I know everything. It's amazing. That's our God. And I just said, dude, I don't think God talks to us like that. Like, dude, but just threw that in there. So the more you understand who God is, it should cause you to fear him, tremble before him, at the same time realize that he's for you and he's not against you. So if that God who's all-powerful and all-wise and all-knowing and created the universe, if he's for you, then what else should you fear in this world? Do you realize how foolish that is for us to fear anything? 
when we realize how awesome God is and that he's for us. And if we are fearing things too much, we probably aren't fearing him enough. And we're probably not seeing who he is and knowing the fear of the Lord. And so that's the point of today's message. Yesterday morning, I found myself reading the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy in Greek, in the Greek Septuagint, it's translated as the repetition of the law. That's what Deuteronomy means, to repeat the law. Moses, this is the fifth book of the Pentateuch or the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In this book, Moses is giving his last hurrah. It's like, it's like Moses' last sermon compilations. If there was like a pastor who was just about done with his pastorate after serving maybe, say, 40 years, and they're like, okay, this is his last month, and you put his four last sermons together, that would be almost like the book of Deuteronomy for Moses. These are his last sayings to the Israelites before he's charging them to go into the promised land and before he can't go in because he disobeyed the Lord. God told him, speak to the rock. He struck the rock. God says, you've broken faith with me. You're not going in. I'm going to take you up to Mount Nebo in Moab. You're going to see the promised land. It's amazing. Why didn't Moses enter? Well, for that, but also it's a picture, I believe. The law will never, never get you to heaven. Moses is a picture of the law. The law can't save you. The law can't get you into the promised land. No, only Jesus can save you. Only Joshua can get you into the promised land. Pretty amazing. So Moses, and by the way, Jesus and Joshua, it's basically the same word, Yahweh saves. What's the thread woven through the book of Deuteronomy? Know the fear of of the Lord. K-N-O-W. Know the fear of the Lord. It's the overarching theme. If you could summarize what Moses is saying to the Israelites in one sentence, it's don't forget who God is. Don't forget what he's done for you and don't forget what he requires of you. So what does God require? I want to give you three texts. Text number one, Deuteronomy 5, 29. Three texts from Deuteronomy. Text number one shows us fearing God leads to blessing. Fearing God leads to blessing. Deuteronomy 5.29. And I got to say it was hard finding or picking texts in Deuteronomy because there's around 20 to 25 that talk about fear. It's all throughout the book. So I tried to look at just three Deuteronomy 5.29, this is God speaking, and he says, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. That's God's heart for you. That's God's heart for his people. That's his heart for Israel. Oh, that they would fear me. Oh, that they would tremble before me. Why? That it may be well with them and their sons forever. God can't allow sin in his presence. God hates evil. God hates that which is against his law. So in his goodness, he says, oh, I wish people would understand who I am so that it may be well with them. If you can hold your hand in here and go to Psalm 128, I'm going to go right back to Deuteronomy, but I want to read this whole psalm to you. It's actually five verses or so. Take just a minute. Psalm 128. says, how blessed is everyone 
who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may, your, may you see your children's children peace be upon Israel. You want blessing upon your life? You want your life to go well? Fear the Lord. Honor him. Tremble before him. We know what happened to the Israelites, right? They didn't fear the Lord. They went after idols as we talked about last week. They were laid low in the wilderness. And God's like, I want you to fear me. I want you to honor me. I would have brought you into the promised land. And so none of the men who came out from Egypt went into the promised land other than Joshua and Caleb. The rest were under 20 years old. Those who were born in the wilderness, God then asks Joshua, I believe it is, to, I don't think it was Moses, I think it was Joshua by that point, to re-circumcise the people. Yes, they were already circumcised. Now they've died off, circumcised the younger ones, and now bring them in to the promised land. So point number one, fearing God leads to blessing. Point number two, Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 22. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. Fearing God leads to praise. At least it should. Fearing God should lead to praise. Deuteronomy 10, 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all, all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them. He chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples as it is this day. Circumcise then your heart, stiffen your neck no more, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and covering. So show your love for the foreigner or the alien, for you are aliens in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and cling to him. You shall swear by his name. He is your praise. He is your God who has done these great and awesome things for you, which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. He's saying, don't you remember there were 70 of you? Remember when Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt and then the whole story of him with his brothers and his brothers went back to Jacob and Jacob finally came over with the whole family and he goes, that's how you started, this little clan of 70 people against all of Egypt, one of the greatest kingdoms in the world with a pharaoh and all the money and all the wealth and all the things that they had. Remember, you started at 70 and now you're more numerous than the stars, you can't even count, and you conquered Egypt. Well, not really you. Who did? I did. God did is what he's saying. 
And since God did, you should praise him. You should remember that you're nothing, that you were just 70 people, and now you conquered Egypt. And that's us, right? He said, wow, I conquer sin in my life. I conquer the devil. Man, I'm living great like Peter. I'll never deny you, Jesus. Look at me. And Jesus is like, do you realize that you're nothing apart from me? Our, it should cause us to fear the Lord when we have victory in our life, just like the Israelites when they had victory, to constantly be in a place of praising God and remembering who they were before, remembering what they came from, so to speak. We need to remember what we came from, the path that we were headed down, and now the path we're on should cause us to say, wow, thank you for your power, your might, your glory in saving my soul. So he says there's a requirement in verse 12. This is what I require of you. What's God's requirement upon your life and my life? Fear him. Walk in his ways. Love him and serve the Lord your God with some of your heart. Is that what it says? Give him your leftovers. Give everything to your job and your family and career and and, uh, hobbies. Pour everything into that. And then on Sundays and just Sundays maybe. Just give him what's left over. Give him just some of your life. Give him all your heart, all your soul, every part of your being. Fear him, love him, walk in his ways, Israel. That's God's call on your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. Yes, you're going to be the hardest worker, or we should be, because we're doing it all unto the glory of God. Yes, you should be the best mother or father or brother or sister, or because we're giving God everything, him first, fearing him, walking in his ways, and it's going to trickle down into every part of our lives. And every part of our lives should be blessed because our relationship with him is right. So he is your praise. And you see this word awesome in verse, at least in the NASB. Not sure it's how it's translated in the other translations. Verse 17, the awesome God who has done awesome things. Verse 21, it's the same word for fear used in verse 12 and verse 20. He's done fearful things for you. He's the fearful God, verse 17, who does not show partiality. So praise him. Sing to him. Worship him. Moses is saying, you've seen his power. Literally, like your eyes saw what happened on that mountain when I went up for 40 days and 40 nights and God allowed me to catch a glimpse of his presence. And you remember how you guys were all trembling with fear at the base of the mountain? Moses is like, I was up at the mountain. You were seeing it from afar and you were shaking with fear. Do you remember that? Don't lose that. Don't forget that. Remember how awesome our God is. Oh, but we're so quick to forget. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-three: You who fear the Lord, praise him. Revelation 19, 5. Praise our God, all you who serve him and those who fear him. Great, shall, small and great alike. Praise him. Sing to the Lord. That is the response to a heart that fears God. You say, man, I'm not singing to the Lord. I I don't really sing much. I don't really worship him. I don't really pray. You have to ask yourself, do you fear him? Do you realize who God is and what he's done in your life? 
Point number three, Deuteronomy 31, verse 12. Fearing God must be taught. You must be taught to fear the Lord. Deuteronomy 31, 12. Assemble the people, the men and the women and children and the alien who is in your town in order that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God and be careful to observe all the words of this law. And their children who have not known will hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live on the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. Remember what David said in Psalm 34:11, "Come you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord." Listen to what God said in Deuteronomy 4:10. "Assemble the people to me that I may let them hear my words, so they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children." Why are there all the feasts? Why are there all the celebrations? Why does God say, put this on your forehead and put it on your hand and you know, bind it to you and just constantly be looking on my law, meditate on my law day and night. Remember, remember, remember. Why does God constantly say that? So that we will learn to fear him. We will know who he is. We will see him, though we can't see him with our eyes. We'll see him through his law and through his word and we'll tremble before him. So the question is, do those younger in the faith or do our children, do those children that we come in contact with see that we fear the Lord? Sometimes the only letter, the only Bible that people will read is your life. Do they see a a fear and trembling in your life before the Lord or do they see a nonchalant attitude? Eh, I I pray to God once a week and I read my Bible from time to time and I give God my leftovers. It goes a long way. At least it did in my life, seeing my mom worship the Lord, praise the Lord, have a fear of God. And I think it's missing a lot in our culture and has crept in to the churches. Verse 12, towards the end of verse 12, it says, be careful. Be careful to observe all the words of this law. I looked, up, I looked up that word careful. It's shamar. It can be translated to keep, to guard, to watch, to beware. That word shamar is used 72 times in the book of Deuteronomy. Over and over and over, Moses is saying, be careful. Keep the commandments. Observe the law. Watch your hearts. Be diligent to keep God's word. Don't forget it. Be careful. How many Christians live like that today? I think it's Ephesians, around Ephesians 4 and 5, it says, be careful how you walk, not as an unwise man, but as a wise man, making the most of your time because the days are evil. We have to be careful to remember God. We have to be careful to fear him. Do kids today know the fear of the Lord? If you were to visit like high schools in the area, go to some of the junior highs and the elementary schools, do you... Are they taught to fear the Lord? Are they taught to tremble before him? Are they taught about the attributes and who God is and what he's done? Or are they taught, do whatever you want. If it doesn't hurt anyone else, just do it. If it feels good, do it. 
follow your heart. You know, truth is up in the air. Truth is subjective. Truth is whatever you want it to be. You know, the Bible, I mean, do we really believe that? That was written by man. That was written like thousands of years ago. Today we have smartphones and we have, you know, we have Instagram and Twitter and we have really smart people that in Silicon Valley that do a lot of amazing things. Like, you're going to read that old, old archaic thing? I mean, come on, pursue something. Be ambitious. Change the world. Stop talking about this old fairy tale. That's what kids are taught. That's what colleges are taught. You're just an animal. You're just scum. You're just... You just somehow a Big Bang, and if they even believe the Big Bang, so I guess some scientists don't want to believe that anymore because it, it shows that there had to be a creator because the universe had to start at some point. So, you know, the steady state theory of Einstein, well, that was done away with because the second law of thermodynamics. So darn, they, they, they're like, there has to be a beginning to the universe, but we don't want there to be a beginning because that means there was a creator. So we have to get away from that somehow. So that's what they're doing now. They're trying to get away from the Big Bang theory, which I don't believe in, but the universe somehow please it had to exist forever we have to get rid of god they're trying to get rid of god trying to get rid of his word trying to get rid of the 10 commandments that are posted in the schools and then wondering why this world's going to hell in a handbasket wondering why there's so many school shootings wondering why kids are doing so many wicked things remove the fear of the lord and you've lost wisdom fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and so if they're not going to learn it from this world are they going to learn it in the churches? Are, are they going to learn it if they come in contact with a Christian? Or is a Christian just going to say, hey, little Josie, God is love, and God loves you, and God has a plan for your life. Is that true? Yeah, it's true. God is love, and God loves them, and God's got amazing plans for them. But if that is all you're telling them, you've missed the mark. You've failed. You haven't preached the whole counsel of God. You haven't told them what God's posture is towards sin. You haven't told them that God is holy, that God hates wickedness, and that God cannot have evil dwell in his presence, and that if they don't repent, they're under the wrath of God. That's what they need to know. That's harder to say. It's easy to go up to someone and say, hey, Jesus loves you. Have a nice day. That's easy. It's hard because they're probably going to recoil or they're probably going to fight back or they're probably going to get angry because who likes to be told that you've offended God? Who likes to be told you're not living up to God's standard? Who are you to judge me? That's what you'll hear if you actually preach or teach or live out the fear of the Lord. But we don't do what the culture wants us to do. We don't do what feels good. We do what God calls us to do. We want to be obedient to him. We want to be faithful to the truth. Do kids need to know God loves them? We all need to know God loves us. Do we need to know about his mercy and his tender heart, his kindness towards this world? Yes, but we're not going to fully grasp his love and his kindness if we don't understand his wrath towards sin. If we don't understand his hatred towards evil, we're never going to fully, truly appreciate his love, his mercy, and his forgiveness. People need to know, and we need to know, these scriptures. Romans twelve nineteen, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I put that verse in a college paper, and the, the PhD doctorate professor at Cal Lutheran said, we don't put that in papers here. God's not a vengeful God. 
I say, it's in the scripture. Well, I don't believe that part of it. God's a loving God. He's not a vengeful, wrathful God. We don't talk about God like that. I said, well, I will continue to do that, okay? I'm going to go with the scripture. I'm not going to go with you and, and you cutting and pasting and taking out things from the scripture. Choose what you want and cherry pick. No, that's not how things work. All scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. We don't, get to, we don't get to choose things. Well, I don't like what Joshua did and the Israelites in the Old Testament and they wiped out that village. I don't like that. So I'm just, no, God's, nope, God wouldn't do that. We don't have that luxury. We need to go to the scripture with a trembling heart before the Lord and say, you are God. Yeah, you are not like us. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how high you are above us. Your mind and your thoughts are above our thoughts. So we submit to you. We have these little pea brains and in our pride and arrogance, we can start sticking our fingers up at God and say, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done it that way. I wouldn't have done it this way. It's like, who are we? We need to be humble before the Lord, submit to his word and tremble before him. Hebrews 10, 31. It's a, ter- it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Who was the book of Hebrews written to? It was written to Hebrew Christians. Christians who are tempted to go back to the law, who are tempted to forsake Christ, who are tempted to throw off what they already had because of persecution, because of difficulty. And so the writer, who many people believe is Paul, we don't know for sure, is writing to them, you need to fear the Lord. You need to tremble before him. You need to realize that if you go back to the law and you forsake Christ, you're going to stand before a consuming fire someday. And it's a terrifying thing to stand before the Lord. So don't just think like, oh, I can just throw this off and everything's going to be fine. I can just go back to Judaism and I can forsake Christ and, you know, his compassion and his love is just going to outweigh anything else and he's just going to forgive me. He's saying, you better beware. Hebrews 3.12, take care, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. And he's warning them over and over and over, don't go back because you're going to stand before God and he's a consuming fire. So beware. We need to know and people need to know that if you're not following the Lord, Scripture states that you are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and that you're storing up wrath for the day of wrath. If you say, God, I'm not following you anymore. Jesus, I don't believe in you anymore. The Scripture says every day your wrath is growing. You're storing it up. It's like storing up treasure in your house more and more and more. Okay, you... Scripture says you're storing up more and more wrath for that day. People need to know that. In the deconstruction age that we live in, people throwing off their faith, going online, boasting about it. Oh, I don't believe anymore. They need to know these verses. They need to know what's coming their way. That's true love. See, people will say, that's not loving. That's not kind. I, I experienced that myself at my job. Nick, just preach the love to them. Preach the love of Christ. Amen. But we have to show people their condition before God. It's more loving to tell them what's actually going to happen to them on that last day if they don't turn from their sin. That is true love. People need to know, as we talked about Psalm 128.1, the fear of the Lord leads to blessing. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we need to know that this is how the prophets preached. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. Remember Jonah? Repent, Nineveh. God's, God's going to decimate you if you don't repent. By God's grace, they did repent. How did John the Baptist preach? Repent. Flee from the wrath to come. How did Jesus preach? The same way. Jesus taught us to fear God. Matthew 10, 28. Jesus was the most loving person who ever lived. He said in Matthew 10, 28, don't fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy body and soul in hell. So if you are living in the fear of the Lord, if you are teaching the same way and living out the same life that the apostles and the prophets and Jesus lived, the fear of the Lord is going to be part of your life and the way you speak. Some people say, well, maybe it worked back then, but that kind of methodology isn't going to work today. We need to be practical, right? We need to be seeker-sensitive. We need, to, we need to bring as many people as we can into the church, and if you say things that offend them, that'll leave. So we don't want to do that. Well, there was once a 17-year-old kid going down that do-what-thou-wilt path, starting to live for himself, starting to drift from the fellowship, starting to drift from his faith. His friends were approving of him, like it says in the book of Peter. Man, they approve your sin. And, and then this mother came to him and said, if you don't repent, you're going to stand before God and God's wrath is going to be upon you. And this 17-year-old and 18-year-old and 19-year-old and 20-year-old kept bucking against God. And this mom kept saying, if you die in your sin, you're going to stand before God. Well, I wouldn't be standing here today if it wasn't for her. I didn't like it at the time. I didn't like coming home drunk and her saying, you know, if you die tonight, I don't know if you're going to go to heaven. It's like, I don't want to hear that right now. Can't you pat me on the back? Can't you do the loving thing and just tell me I'm okay? Can't you just tell me everything's fine and that you love me and I, I'm going to be okay before the Lord? I needed the truth. And the truth is I would stand before God and I had no promise of eternal life if I'm living in sin. Does that mean we beat people down with the Bible, beat them over the head, get all angry? No, but it means we don't cower away from telling the truth. It's very important. So God wants to free us from the fear of the here and now, but he wants to bless us. He wants us to just flourish, and that will come by fearing him. The more you fear him, the less you'll fear the things of this world. You ever struggle with fear? You ever struggle with doubt? Sometimes the fear in our culture could just be the fear of the little things here and now, which can actually be big things. You know, what if I say this at work? What are they going to think about me? You know, if, you know they're going to think I'm a prude or they're going to think, you know, you don't do that over there. You're not going to come out with the guys after work and go drink and get drunk. Like, you're not going to do that. Are you one of those Christian people? Are you one of those, like, fundamentalists? And you, we need to be able to stand our ground and say, I fear the Lord above fearing anyone else or what anyone else thinks about me. 
I want to say like David in Psalm 3.6, I will not fear 10,000 people who have set themselves against me round about. Psalm 23.4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Or Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Or Psalm 34.4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. He sought God. He gave his fears to him and he was able to be delivered. You know, I was thinking about Noah. What if Noah allowed fear to keep him from building the ark? All great men and women of God struggle with fear at some point in their walks because they're taking steps of obedience and faith in the Lord, which requires putting themselves on the line, which at times they might be mocked. You might be persecuted. You might be belittled. You might even be thrown in jail or martyred for the faith. Hebrews 11.7 says, In holy fear, Noah prepared the ark. He feared God more than people mocking him. He said, I'm going to go forth with this. I'm going to build this huge ark. This seems crazy. This seems ludicrous. People think I'm stupid. I'm trusting God and I fear him. How about Moses? Remember he had that stuttering problem? Okay, Lord, how many times did he tell God, I can't go. God's like, you're looking at a burning bush that's not consumed. Can't you trust me? No, Lord, I stutter. I, I'm not a man of intellect. Send someone else to Pharaoh. I'm not, I can't go. Okay, stick your hand in your jacket. Okay, pull it out. Oh, it's leprous. Okay, put it back in. All right, take it out. It's not leprous anymore. Okay, I'm showing you my power. I'm showing you some miracles. Are, do you believe now? No, Lord, uh, don't send me. Send someone else. I, I Remember, I still can't talk. Okay, throw that staff down. Okay, he does. Oh, look, now it's a serpent. Okay, grab the, grab the snake. Okay, now it's a staff. You get in the picture, Moses? I'm more powerful, Moses, than you think. You can trust me. No, Lord. No. Oh, is Aaron around? Send him. Do you think Moses struggled with fear? He tried to get out of it any way he could. Hebrews 11.27 says, Moses didn't fear the wrath of the king. Hebrews 12.21 says, Moses feared and trembled before the Lord. Moses' fear and trembling before God outweighed his fear of man, and he went forward by God's grace and fulfilled the commission that God had for him. How about David? I'm just this little shepherd boy. Here's Goliath. The entire Israel army is afraid to go out against him. Do you think David maybe felt some fear? I think he did. He came in there pretty confident. He had some experience under his belt. He killed the lion. He killed the bear. He's writing Psalms out in the pasture field. God was preparing him. I think he still was like, okay, I'm trusting you, Lord. But man, Psalm 23, 4, I fear no evil, you are with me. Perhaps he was quoting that to himself as he was getting ready to walk out towards Goliath. I fear no evil, Lord, you're with me. You're my shepherd. You're going to come through. I trust you. How about Joshua? How many times did God tell Joshua, do not fear? Read the first chapter of Joshua. Joshua, do not be afraid. Go into the promised land, Joshua. Yes, they're twice the size of you. Yes, you're scared maybe a little bit. I love what Joshua says at the end of the book before he's about to die. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You guys want to be fearful towards things of this world? You guys want to, you know, back off and not be faithful to God? As for me and my house, we, we serve the Lord. We fear God. We're going to trust him. 
yeah, in a humanly perspective, we're outmatched, outmanned, and this isn't going to work out. But God says, march around Jericho seven times. I'm going to listen to him. As for me and my house, that's what we're doing. That's what God needs. You want to be a leader? That's how you lead. You say, I'm going to be faithful to God no matter what. I'm going to honor him no matter what. I'm going to fear him above fearing everyone else. You'll, you'll be a natural leader in your home, at your job, in the church. It'll just come naturally because you're faithful to God and his call in your life. And that's what more of us need. Obedient truth or obedient trust in the Lord requires the slaying of sinful fear. Fear wants to get in the way of your trust in the Lord. Your obedience will be hindered by fear. Noah and Moses, David, Joshua, many of all the, all the saints in the scripture, if they allowed fear to overtake them, they wouldn't have accomplished what they did for the Lord. That's many of us. We don't want to look at back at the end of our lives and say, man, I could have, I could have done that for the Lord. I should, yeah, we should have done that. Man, remember all the times that fear gripped us and we didn't, we didn't do what God called us to do? And that can look different in all of our lives. God's calling some of us to get up and speak. God's calling some of us to behind the scenes do this and that. God's calling us to tell someone at work that they're in sin or tell a brother or sister that they're in sin or whatever it may be. And it's like, yeah, but really underneath it all is I'm fearing man. I'm fearing what can happen rather than I know this is what God's calling me to do and I need to be obedient. It's been said an act of courage isn't necessarily done by those who feel brave when they do it. True courage is he who feels fear yet does it anyway. Courage isn't the absence of fear. It's the conquering of it. I used to have that quote on the computer underneath my desk at my job in California. Because when I got hired, I go, I can't do this. Thankfully, I have a great wife who's, who was pushing me. Nick, you should go for the rescue mission. But honey, I did an interview. I went there. Now they want me to preach before everyone. And then they're going to like grade me and see if my preaching is good enough. And they're not going to hire me unless my preaching is good enough. And I'm going against John MacArthur, master's seminary, master's degree graduates. And they're just going to blow me out of the water. I mean, I can't do that. What's that? That's fear. That's me fearing man. That's me trusting in the Lord up to that point and saying, Lord, open up the door for some ministry job. And then he does. And I'm going to allow fear to not do it. And so by God's grace, I did. And the first time around when I did, they gave the job to the other guy. And I'm like, see, Lord, I pushed through the fear. I did what you asked me to. I put myself on the line. I preached to the guys. I gave everything. And now I don't get the job. And so for three months, I'm thinking, what? Do, I don't understand, Lord. You know, I'm still doing this EMT thing. I, don't, I really don't feel called to do this anymore. And then I get an email one day. Hey, if you're still looking for the rescue mission job, we're ready to hire you. Someone else just quit. You already preached. You already interviewed. You already basically signed everything. Just tell us yes, and you can get hired. And even then, I was like, I don't know, Lord. Well, first, because of the way that I felt it went down the first time. But by God's grace, I went. And when I went, I preached to the guys often, and I, I did things that I never thought I could do. And I had that verse on my computer because I felt fear a lot. And I didn't want the feeling of fear to keep me from obedience. Courage isn't the absence of fear. It's the conquering of it. And you conquer it every time you take a step forward in the Lord and you're obedient to him. If you're waiting for the feelings of fear to go away before you're obedient to the Lord, you're probably going to be waiting your entire life. 
because they're going to be there. Who did God use perhaps more than anyone else in the Bible? Who did God use more to turn the world upside down for the gospel of Jesus Christ than anyone? You might have heard of him. His name's the Apostle Paul. I believe he did more for Jesus than perhaps anyone who's walked on the face of the earth. Now we could debate that. John the Baptist and this person and that person. Paul, by God's grace, did a lot. Half the New Testament letters are written by Paul. And if you read 1 Corinthians 2, what does Paul say to the Corinthian church? It's an important passage, the first five verses. He says, I didn't come to you with eloquence or superiority of wisdom when I preached to you the testimony of God. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and not just trembling. He says, I was with you much trembling. Those were his credentials. He says, I wasn't eloquent. I was weak. I was trembling a lot. And I was just laid myself out there. That's who God uses. He could have said, man, I'm weak. I'm frail. I'm scared. I'm not going. How many of us Christians do that? But he pushed through. That's who God uses to build arcs, to split Red Seas, to slay giants, to bring down Jericho. He uses weak people. He uses frail people. He uses people that fear him above all else. So I'm going to get ready to bring this to a close in a couple minutes. Leah's been listening to a lot of missionary stories lately. They've been encouraging her, and she tells me some of them from time to time. When you look at the faith that people had and the fear of the Lord that people had and how God used them, and so I've been told that I'm not probably going to have any more kids. That's what my wife told me. We'll see. The Lord might have something else in store. But she said, if we do have a daughter, we get to name her Lilius. Now, I talked to Eric about naming kids. It's hard to be on the same page, husband and wife. Those of you who have kids, I don't know how you figured it out in the past. If you just totally agreed on a name or if it took months to agree on a name for a child. But I like the name Lilius. We can call her Lily. We already have this all planned out. Her name's Lilius Trotter. And so she was a missionary to Algeria, North Africa. Lilius Trotter was, as some stated, she could have been one of the best female artists. She was a painter and she had amazing drawings. And they said, if you stay at this, you could be one of the best female artists in the world. So she was being trained by this well-known artist. And she was pursuing this and she felt this tension in her spirit and she was thinking and praying lord i feel like this is pulling me away from serving you i can kind of relate to that and so she continued to cry out to god god i want to serve you but i want to be this great artist and i have such a passion for art and i'm actually pretty good and she was born into a very wealthy family her dad was a stockbroker her neighbors were celebrities so she had power or prominence and intellect and she's smart and finally the Lord just kept pressing upon her heart to be a missionary to be and specifically to be a missionary to Algeria and before she went this is what she would tell her friends she said whenever she prayed the words North Africa sounded in her soul as though a voice were calling her in May of 1887 when a missionary to North Africa asked at a religious meeting if God was calling anyone to North Africa Trotter rose and said, he's calling me. So she applied to become a missionary. She did all the paperwork. She submitted it. And guess what? 
They rejected her. They said, you're not fit. She had physical ailments. She had illnesses. And they said, you're not fit and you're also a woman. We're not sending you. Some people would say, that's a closed door. Okay, I guess God's calling me to the art career. She said, no, it's a jam door. And I'm pushing this door down and I'm going to Algeria if it still is the Lord's will. And it was the Lord's will. And her resilience in March 1888, Trotter and two other women arrived in Algeria. Listen to what Lilia said when she arrived. Quote, Three of us stood there looking at our battlefield. None of us fit to pass a doctor for any society, not knowing a soul in the place, or a sentence of Arabic, or a clue for beginning to work on untouched ground. We only knew we had to come. Truly, if God needed weakness, he had it. I love that. If God needed weakness, he had it. She was just faithful. She just said, Lord, I want to do it. I don't know Arabic. I don't know the people. I don't know the landscape. I don't even know. I don't know how to do anything. I just know that I love you and I fear you. That's who God uses. People with a heart towards him, to fear him. And I think another part of this story is 1 John 4.18, perfect love casts out fear. When you realize how much God loves you and you have that Christ-like love for others, fear is just blown out of the water because all you want to do is bask in that love and you want to share that love with others. So if we're struggling with fear, we need to pray that we can comprehend the breadth and the width and the length and the depth to know the love of Christ in a way you've never known it before. I mentioned a poem that Leah shared with me a couple days ago. I want to close with this poem and I want to close with the story behind the poem the poem was titled Afraid it was written by a Presbyterian missionary E.H. Hamilton following the recent martyrdom in 1931 of one of his colleagues J.W. Vinson at the hands of rebel soldiers in northern China a small Chinese girl who escaped from the bandits related the incident that provided the inspiration for Hamilton's poem Are you afraid, the bandits asked Vincent as they menacingly waved a gun in front of him. No, he replied with complete assurance. If you shoot, I go straight to heaven. His decapitated body was found later. So E.M. Hamilton wrote this poem. Afraid? Of what? To feel the Spirit's glad release? To pass from pain to perfect peace? The strife and strain of life to cease? Afraid of that? Afraid of what? Afraid to see the Savior's face? To hear his welcome and a trace? The glory gleam from wounds of grace? Afraid of that? Afraid of what? A flash, a crash, a pierced heart? Brief brief darkness, light, oh, heaven's art? A wound of his, a counterpart? Afraid of that? Afraid of what? To enter into heaven's rest and yet to serve the master blessed from service good to service best. Afraid of that? Afraid of what? To do by death what life could not. Baptize with blood a stony plot till souls shall blossom from the spot. Afraid? Afraid of that. What do we have to be afraid of? Jesus said, little flock, don't be afraid. The father's chosen to give you the kingdom. We don't need a fear. 
but fear God and him alone.